Well, I just want to say welcome again to worshiping with us this morning. It was so encouraging to be in this room with our worship team, and I am just really looking forward to and praying for the return of the church and all of us being in the same place. But in the meantime, I am so thankful for technology, so thankful for just the way that the Lord has um, just blessed us in this age that we can be together even when we're not being together. I, I was just thinking about this week, just how thankful I've been for people in our church family. It's been really cool to see um, I've heard some people that have started calling around and they're calling different people in the church to be an encouragement to them. Those that we know are kind of isolated and feeling alone and struggling. And one of the great things is I heard somebody this week saying, you know, when I called, this person started listing all the people from our church family who have been calling them and talking to them and praying for them. And it is just so cool. Um, we're trying to help organize that as a leadership, but it is so cool to see the way that people are being loved and cared for that's not related to anything that we are doing. It's just the body of Christ loving each other, and I am just so thankful for that. Well, um, this morning we're going to be talking about Satan and demons, and, and, um, and if you're wondering why, we have been going through the book of Matthew, and so far in the book of Matthew, five times we have run into angels and demons. And, uh, you know, we, in Matthew 1.20, we see angels showing up to talk to, to Joseph and to tell him, hey, don't be afraid to marry Mary. In Matthew 2.19, um, Herod dies after um, Joseph has fled. Herod dies, and an angel tells him, hey, Herod's dead. It's time for you to go back. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Satan showing up to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And uh, we see, too, that when that temptation is over, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, that angels show up to minister to Jesus. And then we saw um, a couple weeks ago, Matthew chapter 8, that Jesus, as he's traveling... Um, Jesus is running into demons, and he is casting demons out of people. And people are bringing lots of people who are demon-possessed to Jesus, and he is healing them, and he is freeing them. And so we're going to be actually running into a lot more of those types of things as we, as we go through the book of Matthew. And one of the things that I think is really important is for us to have clearly in our mind the truth about angels and demons and Satan, that we understand them. One of the things that I found um, just in, in life is that when people don't know, when there's a vacuum of information, any kind of a random thought has a tendency to go into our mind. I'll never forget, I was talking to um, a neighbor of mine, and I was just kind of asking him, this was, this was many years ago, and I was just kind of asking him, so what do you think happens to people when they die? And, and as he started describing um, the spirit world, and as he started describing those things, what I realized was that all of his information, all of the things that he believed about the afterlife came from movies. He started describing the movie Ghost. And, and, and I hear and see all the time people who um, they, they completely misunderstand and they believe things that are untrue. They actually believe things that are satanic things that are taught in satanic religions, false religions, false truth. And, and people that believe those things, they live their lives, they behave in a way that's harmful. And so as believers, we want to make sure that we are filling our minds with truth. 
that, that we know what is real. And so this week, we are going to be focusing on the nature of angels, where they come from. Most importantly, we're going to be thinking about what do we learn about God from what we know about angels? And uh, that's what we're going to do this week. And the next week, we're going to consider the specifics of Satan's schemes. What exactly do, does Satan do? What exactly do demons do to try to trip, trap you? What can they do? How can they hurt you? How can they influence you? What does God teach us about the schemes of Satan and the way they work their, ways, their way out in life? And so that's where we're going to be heading in the next couple of weeks. Um, for this week... We are going to consider this, like as you look at the angelic world, there are three things that just stand out as so clear. The first is that the angelic world demonstrates God's unmatched power and authority. Um, God is the force, the creator, the all-powerful God, and nothing in the universe matches God's power. The second thing that, that we're going to see is we just consider angels and demons is we can, as we consider the destruction of rebellion against God and how turning away from God and re rebelling against God is so destructive. It was destructive for Satan and the angels and his angels, the demons, and it is destructive when people do the same thing. And so we're going to just see that destruction that comes from hardening our hearts against God. The third thing that we're going to see is God's immeasurable love for mankind. The fact that Jesus loves us, God loves us, and he came to save us from our sins. God gives us second, third, fourth, fifth, hundred chances. And we see God's grace poured out. The angels never got a second chance. And, and just when we consider that contrast it is amazingly comforting that God is all-powerful and that God has a tremendous love for his children. So let's look at this, this uh, passage. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And, the, and uh, Craig read this, and we're just going to go through this quickly. But it actually is important for us to think about the spirit world, to think about angels and demons, and, and to think about how that impacts our relationships here on earth and how that affects the choices that we made. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, and this is awesome how it puts the attention on God himself. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he's talking to a church and their failure to be forgiving towards somebody who was wrapped up in major sin, and then they repented and they came back and the church wasn't being forgiving. And the Apostle Paul just says to that church, he says, we need to do what's right so that we are not outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. You ever thought about that? When we don't think about the world, and when we don't think about people, and we don't think about the church from a spiritual perspective, we actually fall into the traps of Satan, and we end up doing things that Satan wants us to do to harm the body of Christ instead of representing Jesus and loving people the way God intends us to. 
look, look, um, look, look again at um, verse 12. For we, this is a personal battle that you and I fight, that we're engaged in. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You ever, a lot of times, have difficulty, struggles, challenges, maybe in your family, with neighbors, with other people, and sometimes we can start to view life on a horizontal level, and we have struggles with people and, and difficulties and challenges, and we can start to fight people, but we're reminded here that ultimately, our battle is never against people. Our battle is for people, but it is against, look at this, the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And think about that. We are in a spiritual battle, and we need to have that in mind. Uh, verse 13 goes on, and it says this, Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And then I love the, the things that follow. Um, our spiritual armor, this is that analogy that the Apostle Paul uses here, but it's truth. You know, one of the most important things is that we know and understand the truth about spiritual things. Righteousness that we live in obedience to God. That is one of the greatest protections against Satan and his plan for your life is that you live a righteous life, that we are about the gospel, that our purpose is to help people come to know who Jesus is. We have the shield of faith. Instead of being afraid, we are trusting Jesus that we have the helmet of salvation. Uh, when you're saved, Satan, he may trip you up, you may fall, but you will never be dealt a fatal blow because we have the helmet of salvation, that permanent protection from God. And then our offensive weapon is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And he wraps that all up by just a section on prayer, which is a daily reminder of our dependence on Christ. And one of the things that we know is that Satan wants to destroy us. Christ, on the other hand, came to destroy Satan's works and to give us abundant life. And so we're going to start there. We're just going to start by considering that we need to know the truth. It's important that we don't overestimate our enemy, but one of our biggest problems is that it seems like on many occasions we're not paying attention. We don't think about how we are slipping and falling into Satan's traps. It is so sad to see Satan's influence in the church. And if you study scripture, and if you know what God says, you can recognize it. You can recognize it in others as they start doing and behaving. And as they start, you, you can just see, okay, this person is being manipulated by Satan right now. You could see it in yourself. Feelings and thoughts start to well up inside of us at times. And if we know and study scripture, we can say, no, right now Satan is trying to manipulate me. And we're able to avoid it and defend ourselves against it in God's power and strength. 
And so um, that we're going to consider these three things this morning. It is so important for us to know what is true and then to live that out in our life. So let's consider the first thing. The angelic world demonstrates God's unmatched authority and power. You know, Scripture, uh, when it comes to these things, is our only reliable source of information regarding angels and demons. We have no way to really understand truth apart from what we read in Scripture. There is actually a lot of information in the Bible about angels and demons. Um, there's no place in Scripture where, where demons are systematically discussed or where angels are systematically discussed. But what we find is there are so many references to angels and demons, but they always come up in a story about something else. So there's lots of information, but we got to search all over and put these things together. In fact, angels and demons are real. And I think that's the first thing that we need to stop, start with is that angels and demons, they are real. They are mentioned in 37 of the 66 books of the Bible. They are mentioned over 370 times. Demons are specifically mentioned over 110 times. Um, and demons are called demons, unclean spirits, evil spirits, wicked spirits, deceitful spirits, and they're called Satan's angels. And so here's the first thing as we consider um, just God's ultimate unmatched authority. We will see how powerful angels and Satan are and how powerful demons are, but God is the unmatched power. Let's just start with this. There's a lot of people who have in their mind that there are two cosmic forces that are always battling and we're not sure who's going to win. And what we know from Scripture is that God wins. And there is no ultimate battle. There is this battle, but God is in complete authority and complete control. And it starts with this. God made everything and every being. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians 1.16, angels and demons, spirit beings, get a special mention. Look what it says. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the power and he's the reason everything exists. And what we'll be seeing too is that Angels were created for Jesus. We were created for Jesus, to worship him, to honor him, to obey him. In fact, the word for angel is the word messenger. And, uh, and, and that's the same as in the Old Testament and New Testament. There's a Hebrew word for messenger. And in the Old Testament, about half of the occurrences are talking about angelic beings. And about half of the occurrences are talking about just people. In the New Testament, the word for angel that's used in the New Testament is almost always referring to an angelic being. But that word in its general usage includes messengers. It's used a lot in the Old Testament uh, to speak of human messengers. And so when we think about these angels and demons, um, where were they created? Where did they come from? And here are a few things that we see that, that the Bible tells us. 
In Job chapter 38, verse 4, and I love this. Um, angels were created. Angels and Satan were created before God created the world. Um, look what it says here in Job chapter 38, verse 4. Now, this is at the end of the book of Job, and God is talking about himself and how amazing he is. And here we see angels mentioned in a conversation about something else. But notice what we see. Where were you? And God is speaking here to Job. And he's saying, Job, why would you question me? I know everything. And then this is what he says. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Or who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And then here's where we see a reference to angels. While God was creating... It says, when the morning stars, that's a reference to angels, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You know, it's amazing that angels were created to worship God. When, when God was going to create the world, when he was going to make everything, he first created angels so that they could watch what he was doing, so that they could shout for joy. We see that angels have emotion. They have mind. They have will. They have emotion. And so angels are beings that are worshiping God, and he created them so that they could see him do amazing things. Now, we also find out that every angel was created at the same time. There are not growing numbers, uh, numbers of, of angels. Nobody is becoming an angel. A lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, you know, you're going to get your wings. Or, or people talk about people who have passed away as though that they're going to be angels in heaven playing a harp on a cloud or looking out over people. And what we find out is there are no new angels. Angels don't reproduce. Jesus tells us that, that there's no marriage amongst angels. And every angel was created at one time. Look at this in Psalm 48, 148, verse 2. Praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. We'll come back to that word. Angels are messengers, but hosts are armies. And the angels are God's mighty warriors, his armies. So praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. In the same way that God said, let there be light, God said, let there be angels. He spoke them to existence at a single moment of time. Hebrews tells us that angels are uncountable. Hebrews 12, 22, Revelation 5, 11 also says that they are an uncountable number. Now, this is just another interesting thing that I notice in culture is when you see art and when you see pictures of angels and, and just a lot of people's ideas about angels, um, in many cases, angels are seen as women or angels are seen as children. Like those are all the pictures that you see of angels. But as you study scripture, Angels only appear as men in the Bible. They only appear as men. Um, the, the word for angel is always masculine. Um, whenever they appear, they always appear as men. And their names are always masculine names. It just That's an interesting 
thing that happens in our culture where, where that is twisted and that's polluted and it's misrepresented. The other thing that we find out about angels is that angels not only created to worship and serve God, but angels are powerful, mighty warriors. Uh, the Bible tells us that um, in some cases, God uses angels to carry out his judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent some angels down to go see Sodom and Gomorrah and to destroy the city. It says in Genesis 19, 13, the Lord has sent us, those angels, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. When God was taking his people out of Egypt, he sent an angel to kill the firstborn of everyone in the household of Egypt. And that's how the, the Israelites end up being released from Egypt. Hezekiah is surrounded by the Assyrians, and they, they come to Hezekiah, and they just say, we are so powerful, we're so amazing, no God can save us, can save you from us. And Hezekiah goes, he prays, he pours his heart out before God, and there are, there are 185,000 Assyrians outside, and God sends a single angel that wipes out that entire army, kills, strikes down 185,000 people. Human beings are no match for the power of angelic beings. And at the end of the age, God's angels are going to gather up everybody who rebels against God, and they are going to cast them into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. And so as we think about that, that could be challenging. That could be a scary thing when we think about, man, we live in a, in a world of very powerful angelic beings. And we'll be looking at a moment, not all those angelic beings are God's faithful servants. In fact, possibly the most powerful angel is actually God's declared enemy. We'll look at that in a moment. But here's the thing that we need to recognize about angels. They are created beings. They are not omniscient Angels don't know everything. Satan does not know everything. There are many cases in Scripture where angels specifically are referred to as not knowing things. In fact, when God talks about um, uh, foretelling the future, one of the ways to know if a prophet is a false prophet is if everything they say is always true. Any person who makes a prophecy in the name of Christ that doesn't come to pass, that is a false prophet. And, and the reason for that is that Satan can predict, Satan can guess, but Satan and demons and angels do not know the future. Only God knows the future. Now, Satan, angels, and demons, they can read the Bible. They do know what God has said, so they do understand those things, but they don't know the future. Angels and demons are not omnipotent. They are incredibly powerful, but they are not all-powerful. Another thing about angels and demons, angels and demons, one of the things that you see, they are in one place at a time. They are not omnipresent. God is always everywhere. God always knows everything you're thinking. God is always with you. Angels and demons are limited beings. They are in one place at one time. Let's consider Satan and consider his mission and his purpose as we consider just the all-powerful nature of God. John 10.10 says, The thief, that's a reference to Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it 
abundantly. Now, we are going to dig more into that next week. The way Satan lies, the way Satan pretends to be to offer freedom when really he offers enslavement. He pretends to offer joy when really he offers destruction and harm. And um, Jesus, on the other hand, genuinely offers life. Now, when we look at um, the doctrine of Satan and even some of the things that we learn about Satan, one of the things that we find out is that in many cases, Satan will influence people. Satan might indwell somebody. And when that happens, sometimes as God is speaking to that creature or that person, he actually speaks through that person to Satan himself. We see that in the Garden of Eden, um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, where Satan indwells a snake and he speaks to Adam and Eve through the snake. And when God is pronouncing a judgment, he curses the snake for being a tool of Satan, but then he speaks to Satan. This happens also in Isaiah chapter 14, where the prophet is speaking to the king of Babylon. And at a certain point, he, he stops and he speaks through the king, the king of Babylon to Satan himself. We see it, the king of Tyre, in Ezekiel chapter 28, and we learn something about Satan from that. We saw it again also with Peter, where Peter is allowing himself to be influenced in Matthew chapter 16. And Peter talks to Jesus, and Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And so there are times that that God speaks through an individual to Satan. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And this is one of the things that, the, we're going to see five things about the fall of Satan, where he came from. Um, Satan, it says, how you, have, how you are fallen from heaven, O, o day star, son of the dawn. The King James translates that as Lucifer. How you are cut down to the ground, who laid the nations low. And here we see what happened in Satan's heart. Why? It's pride. It's arrogance. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on the high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan's desire is to be worshiped, to replace God. That's actually what we see in his work in this world. And, and in the work of demons is that God would be displaced from the place of worship and that something or someone else would be put in that place. And Satan himself ultimately wants to be worshiped. But it says, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. God has cast Satan down. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12, if you'll go there, we see some more things. Ezekiel 28, 12, Son of man, raise a lament over the king of Tyre and say to him, and here this king who is allowing himself to be influenced by Satan, and, and actually he is speaking to the king. This message is for the king, but he speaks through him to Satan, that is the influence behind him. And look what he says. Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. What an amazing thing. Satan was the most beautiful angel. He was perfect in beauty and that made him prideful 
And it's amazing how that's one of the ways that we see Satan manipulating people and one of the ways that we see Satan harming people, and I don't want to get too much into next week, but Satan uses your strengths, your talents, your abilities against you. Even think about um, um, Peter when he, when he identifies who Jesus is, you're the Christ. And then the next words out of his mouth, G Jesus responds and says, get behind me, Satan. It is in our mo moments of greatest triumph. It is where we do well that Satan tr sets traps for us. Um, his beauty, he was full of wisdom. He was perfect. And then it, it speaks and it says in verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, covering the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the, the carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared for you. Satan was created on a day with the rest of the angels. Look at verse 14. You were an anointed guardian cherub. That's the kind of angel that Satan was. He was a, a cherub, the unique anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. And here we see where sin entered the world. So God made Satan perfect. But Satan was corrupted by his pride. It says in the middle of verse 15, until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. Uh, that, that trade, that's gathering, that's going back and forth, and that's probably when Satan gathered up a, a number of the angels to follow him and to worship him and to rebel against God. Look at the, look at, um, the middle of verse 16, and you sinned. So I cast you as profane, as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, in the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground. So that's where we see that Satan and demons came from. They were holy angels. Satan dedicated to worship God, to guard his holiness, to give him credit. This amazing creation of God, perhaps the most beautiful creation of God. And Satan, by reason of his pride, has rebelled against God. When you think about cherubs, they show up in other places in Scripture. There was a cherub that guarded the way to the tree. Um, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, it, it, was a, it was a cherub that guarded the way to the tree of life. Um, in the Old Testament, they are, they are on the mercy seat, on the ark. Um, they are on the temple curtains. So it seems like these are God's um, chamber guards in God's throne room. The Bible tells us that Satan is wicked. He is an evil, wicked being. Um, his most common designation of, in Scripture is Satan, and that just means adversary. He is God's enemy, and he is your enemy. The Bible also calls him the devil. That's one who engages in slander. Uh, that happens 30, 32 times. He's called the evil one. He is the tempter 
a murderer, and a liar. And there are other names that reflect Satan's evil character. Now, here's one of the things that we know about Satan is how powerful Satan is. Um, Satan is very powerful, probably the most powerful angel, and all demons, amazingly powerful. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2.11 that angels are greater in might and, and power than men. Um, Satan is called a dragon in Revelation. He's called a lion in 1 Peter 5.8 where it says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, I'll tell you how powerful Satan is. You know, Michael is an archangel. He is a leader in God's army. And uh, in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about this mighty war between God and his angels and Satan and his angels. And Michael is the, the angel that is powerful, that is leading that charge. There's, a, there's another time that some demons are, that, that an angel has been sent with a message and a demon holds up that angel. We see that in the book of Daniel. And Michael's the one that God sends to go free this angel so he can deliver the message that God wants him to deliver. And so as powerful as Michael is, this is what Jesus' brother writes in Jude chapter 1, verse 9. It says, But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, and he was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said, The Lord rebuke you. You know, even Michael the archangel doesn't face Satan. He doesn't look at Satan. He doesn't say, I'm going to break the devil's neck. I'm going to stomp the, the devil. Um, Michael, the archangel, realizes Satan's power. And he just prays. When he had a dispute, God, there was something going on with the body of Moses. And when God sent him to take care of that, he just prays, God, take care of Satan. And that is such an example for you and I in our, in our battle with spiritual forces, we trust and we rely on Jesus and on God for help. And so the, the, fact that we, the fact is that Satan, while a very powerful being, is limited. He's limited by his abilities. He is not all-powerful. And he is limited specifically by God's incredible power. If you look at the book of Job... Um, the Old Testament, and this is one of the reasons it is so important to be studying the entire, entirety of Scripture. We learn so much about so many things as we read and study Scripture and as we, as we understand these things in the proper context. Job chapter 1 says this, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. And it goes on to say that Job is rich, that he is protected, and he is blessed by God. And then look at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So the angels present themselves to God. They report to God. And here's what it says. And Satan came among them. You know, Satan shows up and he reports to God, even as God's enemy. He does what he is told to do. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking upon um, up and down on it. So Satan and his angel, angelic forces, they are roaming the earth. They are everywhere here on earth. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord, and he says, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him about his house and all that he has on every side? Job, this righteous man, completely protected by God himself from Satan. Here's what you need to know. The only reason you're still living right now, the only reason you have not been devastated and destroyed, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, the only reason that Satan and his demons have not caused complete destruction in your life is because God is sovereignly protecting you at all times. In verse 12, Satan says, well, um, you know, Job only loves you because you protect him. And God releases for one moment his protection on Job. In verse 12, Job 1.12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan says, God says to Satan, You can take everything he has, but you can't touch him. And, and in a moment we see Satan's intention. We see demonic intention toward people. Uh, there's this series of people that a man runs up to Job to pronounce this terrible tragedy, and one after the other, a servant comes, and it says, and while he was still speaking, this person says this. While he was still speaking, this person says that. Satan destroys Job in a moment and times it so perfectly that he is hit one after the other with this destruction that's happened in his life. Job 1.13, the Sabaeans kill his servants, steal his oxen and donkeys. In verse 16, fire from heaven kills the servants and the sheep. In 17, the Chaldeans come and kill servants and take all his, his camels. In verse 18, the wind blows down the oldest child's house and kills all the siblings. And Satan times that so that Job is destroyed, everything he has in a moment. And then later, Job says, yeah, that's his stuff, but he, he won't love you if you hurt him. And God says in Job 2.6, Behold, he is in your hands, only spare his life. And in a moment, Satan strikes Job with boils from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head. Satan wants to destroy. Demons want to harm. But God is so powerful that they are unable to do anything that God doesn't allow now, Job's response in Job 2.20, and I just want to read this, and then we'll move on. But Job arose, he tore his robes, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What an amazing man. But we see in this, as powerful as Satan is, God completely overrules Satan at every moment. And so that just inspires worship as we think about this for how great God is. We're going to go quickly on these next two points. The angelic world demonstrates the destruction of rebellion against God. Now there's just two points here that we want to make. Angels were created to worship Jesus, to worship God. Hebrews 1, 6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. These demons who have fallen have gone from worshiping God 
to trying to stop people from worshiping God, from tr- to trying to take worship. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. Do you want to be, do, I do not want you to be participants with demons. A lot of people feel like other religions are just different ways to worship God. They're not. Every other religion is actually worshiping Satan and demons. So there's a lot of different ways to, to serve and to, to worship Satan. And so that's one of the things that we see. Angels were created. They were created to serve God's people. And they have gone from serving God to opposing God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, They are not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The purpose of angels is to serve God's chosen people. We see that in Elijah in the Old Testament. He's hungry and angels bring him food. We see that with Peter and the apostles when they're locked in prison an angel comes and frees them. The apostle Paul is on a ship that they're afraid is going to sink and God sends an angel to tell him you're going to be okay. In fact, Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, with all those angels, God has dedicated angels to take care of people. Some people uh, call this a guardian angel. But here's what we know is that God's servants, God's angels, they care for us. Matthew 18, 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels, angels that are dedicated to them, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so we just see that God has angels that are there to care for and to help and to, um, to, to minister to us. And angels have turned from that to evil beings opposing, attempting to destroy. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, um, I mentioned that. Um, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, Daniel's praying. And God dispenses an angel. He says, go answer Daniel. And as he's going, we find out that there's a demon who's like a ruler in a particular area on earth. And as that angel tries to go through his area, this is Daniel 10, um, 12 through 14. um, When that happens, this, this demon actually fights against this angel and holds him for 21 days. And then God says, hey, Michael, go help him. And Michael goes and frees him and he's able to come to Daniel and deliver his message. Daniel's waiting when God answered his prayer instantly. And they try to destroy and to harm. Look at uh, Mark 9, 18. And whenever it seizes him, this is a a child that was demon-possessed and a father's talking to Jesus about it. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid and has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Um, Demons have the intention to harm and to destroy. The third thing that we see, and this is so just amazing and encouraging, is we look at just that destruction. We don't want that. We don't want to be like the demons. We don't want to join forces with them. The third is this. But the angelic world demonstrates God's immeasurable love for people. When angels and Satan sinned, God responded in Matthew 25, 41. It says this. It says that he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire 
prepared for the devil and his angels. When angelic beings rebelled against God, he created hell. Um, what we know is that when mankind sinned against God, Jesus immediately, God immediately promises in Genesis 3.15, I will send a Messiah to die for you, to save you, to reverse the curse of the fall. And one of the things that's amazing is that angels are amazed and they watch all of this happening. And it tells us in, in Ephesians 3.10 that part of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, to see people come to, to know Christ, is that that would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 12 tells us about the gospel, that the angels long to look at this. What an amazing thing. The Bible tells us God's response to our sin in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, as we consider these truths, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to rejoice. We're going to worship God. And, and just consider what Jesus did for us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God loves us. He has come he has died for us. He has made a way of salvation. What an inspiration to worship. What a comfort when we know how powerful God is and how much he loves us. How overwhelming is it? God's amazing love and grace. Um, we're, I'm going to read this passage and uh, then we're going to take the, the elements and you can do that during the next song as they're singing and take the bread and drink the cup and remember what Jesus has done. 1 Corinthians 11 um, verse 23 to 26 says this, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are so powerful, that we can trust you, that we can rely on you. And when we think about these angelic forces, the demons that have a desire to destroy and to kill and to harm, Lord, I just ask that you would inspire us to love you, to trust you, to obey you, to not fall to the satanic traps that are placed before us. And Lord, I just ask that as we remember your death, uh, that we would know that as many times as we fail, you have paid the price. You have made the way for us to be forgiven. We are your beloved children. Lord, thank you. And we know that you are going to come back for us and that you are going to hold on to us in your name. Amen.